I'd like you to join me on an adventure to a small town of around 11,000 people called Ross River in Pennsylvania. The political landscape there was just rocked to its core when two of the township commissioners who campaigned as Democrats and won switched to join the Republican Party in the middle of their terms. One of these individuals was just elected in November. The picture being painted, and by their own quotes, is that the Democratic Party no longer represents their values, that it's become much too socialist in their eyes. They may be saying, Tim, why should I care about this small town of 11,000 people? Well, first of all, every small town and every individual in this country matters, as does their vote. But we're seeing a phenomenon across the country, from New Mexico to Mississippi and in Pennsylvania, Democratic elected officials are switching and joining the Republican Party. Now, of course, there's the most famous Jeff Van Drew, who was a fe- who was a national level congressman who joined the Republican Party. But in Pennsylvania, in a town like Rostrovar, we can see an example of why it's happening. And it's also very important because it is happening in Pennsylvania. This is a state that was reliably, re- reliably blue up until about 2016, when Donald Trump won and by a very narrow margin. We're now seeing local level politicians join the Republican Party. And keep in mind, Jeff Van Drew's district, New Jersey's second, is just across the river from Pennsylvania, from Philadelphia, actually. This is excellent news for Donald Trump and the Republican Party. And I have to wonder why it is that walk away, the idea of leaving the Democratic Party, why this phenomenon of quitting is almost exclusively from left to right and not the other way around. As I've explained it before, politics seems to flow in one direction. The far left wants you out. No matter what you do, you can't win. The way I put it is this. If I took a picture standing next to some left-wing individual, they would accuse that individual of being right-wing, not me of being left-wing. If the only option then is to move right, don't be surprised when they do. This is happening across the country. And I think part of it has to do with Bernie Sanders' victories. At a national level, he is doing very well among progressive activists, but it's ostracizing local-level politicians who are more moderate. This is going to pave the way for a Trump landslide. And I'm going to say something I never thought I'd say. While Trump isn't going to unify literally every person in this country, it's kind of strange to see Democrats joining the Republican Party because it's more unity than we've seen in a long time, in spite of all of the divisiveness we've seen with political polarization. We may end up seeing a supermajority in the Republican Party. Now, that's a bold prediction. I'm not sure what the probability is. But with local level politicians switching sides, it may be coming true. Let's get started and read about the small town of Ross River. But I want to show you some other examples. Mississippi, for instance, a story about a state senator who quit the Democratic Party. And I want to talk about voter turnout and why things are starting to look better and better for Republicans and Donald Trump. And I know a lot of people on the left are going to be angry and they don't want to hear it, but I don't know what else to tell you. The first story is from Trib Live. But before we read it, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you'd like to support my work. There are several ways you can give, but the best thing you can do is share this video. It really does help my channel. But I want to make a point about this. The news you're seeing, it's real. People are quitting the Democratic Party. There are a lot of people on the left who might not know this is happening, not realizing that their party is falling apart in the face of the rise of the woke left, the progressive left, the socialist left. They're being torn straight down the middle. Many people who don't watch other news sources, they only get, say, MSNBC, won't know it's happening. So hopefully sharing this will break that echo chamber and let them know at a local level it is right in front of your face. 
I will also add that many of you aren't subscribed. So if you really do like this content, want to see more of it, hit the subscribe button, hit the notification bell, because YouTube isn't actually recommending my content that much anymore. They're doing a lot to try and strike down channels like mine, though slowly. Let's get started and read from Trib Live. Party swaps change face of Ross River politics. The balance of political power in Ross River shifted recently when two of the township's commissioners changed their political affiliations from Democrat to Republican. In January, board chairman John Lorenzo, who was elected in November as a Democrat, and Henry Boldizar, Boldizar Jr., whose current four-year term started last year, switched parties and in doing so gave Republicans a three to two board majority. Boldizar previously served about a year as the elected chairman of Westmoreland County's Democratic Committee before he resigned the post in 2015. Quote, they are folks we've been courting and they express the Democratic Party as it stands today no longer represents their core values, said Bob McPherson, chairman of the County Republican District 4 Committee, which includes Rostrevar. Rostrever. McPherson said he lobbied both to make the switch, but neither required major arm twisting to move to the GOP. Both Lorenzo and Boldazar officially switched their party registrations on January 27th, according to the Elections Bureau. Lorenzo, in an interview earlier this week, said his party switch was not based on any issues he had with the county's Democratic committee, but was a move he said, but, but was a move he said is reflective of his evolving political stance. He says, I grew up in a household that was heavily Democratic and never got to choose my party for myself. My, ideolo- my, my ideology was that I am fiscal conservative, pro-life, pro-gun, and the Democratic Party has moved so far to the socialist spectrum. Baldazar did not return a request for comment. They say Rostrevar's board of commissioners was sworn in on January 6th. At that time, Democrats held a four to one board majority. Commissioner Devin M. DiRienzo was the only Republican. Rostrevar voters elected the person, not the party. I don't think it changes the, the dynamic of the township. Meanwhile, Democrats still outnumber Republicans by about 500 registered voters in Rostrever, according to the Elections Bureau. As of the end of February, there are 3,663 Democrats and 3,146 Republicans registered to vote in the township. The reason why I think this is significant is that a lot of these moves are based on what these politicians think their voters want. And if they're making a move before the voters actually do, you have to recognize politicians want to get reelected. I mean, not everybody. Sometimes it is a matter of principle. And particularly at a local level, I'd imagine they are being driven for the most part by principle. But I think we might end up seeing voter registrations flip or registered Democrats actually vote for the Republican in the general election in November. Now, what we're seeing here isn't the first time it's happened in November. From PenLive.com. Pennsylvania Democrats lose a state senator. John Udichak of Luzerne County declares himself independent, will caucus with GOP. Now, here's a man who has not joined the Republican Party, but he's caucusing with them. You got to understand from for people like me, I've been I was I was basically Democrat my whole life. I understand exactly why they're doing it and what they're doing. Donald Trump is not far right. He is the New York liberal, but he's adopted a lot of conservative principles. He's pulled in an insurgent base that's taken over the Republican Party. And the Democrats are seeing something similar happen. But with socialists, regular people in this country have more in common with Donald Trump forever, for, in spite of everything they hate about him than they do with socialists. 
Bernie Sanders can attract the fringe activists who are finally waking up and being excited. Or for the most part, he's really attracting existing Democrat base. But he can't get the core of what America is, the majority of the Democratic Party. The fracturing will be their end. Now, this man, John Udichak, will caucus with the GOP. But here's the most important point. From the Philadelphia Inquirer, a new poll of 2020 swing states shows just how important Pennsylvania will be. Pennsylvania is supposed to be blue. I mean, you've got Philadelphia. It's, it's blue. But there was a recent story from the Wall Street Journal that went and talked to a bunch of people who lived in Philly. And in North Philly, there were former Democrats, people who voted for Hillary, saying they've decided to vote for Trump this time around. And, and it's probably best explained by Trump himself. And one of the things he said at the conservative, I believe it's a CPAC, the Conservative Political Action Convention, Conference. I don't know what a CPAC stands for, but it's a bunch of conservatives gathering. And Donald Trump said something to the effect of, I may be a mean guy, but I'm working for you. And people will begrudgingly choose that over the far left candidate. The story from the Inquirer points out that it is a really blue place, a kind of union place, a working class place. But many people have found that the economy is doing really, really well. I live in this area. In fact, I live very close to the district of Jeff Vandrew, who switched from the Democratic Party to the Republican Party. I talk to my neighbors. I'm literally 10 minutes from Philly. I'm in the Philly burbs. And what I hear from so many blue collar people is that, first of all, the economy is great and they're not super concerned about what's going on else, uh, you know, in, in politics. And they'll probably just vote for Trump to keep the train going. But some people have actually said to me, they're sick and tired of the scandals. They just don't want to hear about orange man bad anymore. And I mean it. And other people have said, what is going on with the far left push, giving many people no option. Some of these people hate the Republicans and just don't want to vote now. And if they sit out and Democrat turnout is low, well, then Donald Trump is going to win. Here's something interesting. We've seen pretty good voter turnout for Democrats, sort of. A lot of people have bragged the voter turnout is higher than it was in 08. But accounting for population growth, the New York Times says "Mm, it's not actually that great because you should have gained a lot more. Here's the thing, though. These are people who are voting in the Democratic primary. What's the chance that many of these people do not see Bernie or Biden or Buttigieg or whoever they want win? So they sit out the general election. Each of these each of these candidates in the Democratic Party has a small contingent of, you know, Bernie or bust kind of voters that if it's not my candidate, I won't vote at all. Yang had the biggest around 42 percent of his voters polled said they would not support the Democratic candidate if it was not Andrew Yang. So what do they do? Well, some might vote Trump and some might not vote at all. So the voter turnout we're seeing may actually go down when it comes to the general because the preferred candidate didn't win. You get to vote for Andrew Yang in the primary. You feel good about it. But then when it comes to general and it's Biden, you just say not interested. What we're seeing here is it's actually a commonly occurring theme. Eight elected officials switch party affiliation to Republican in Mississippi. This from just a couple days ago. Now, six of them were Democrats. I, I just want to know why. Why do you think they're leaving the Democrats and joining the Republicans? Because we're not seeing the other way around other than I think, I think Justin Amash. There's probably some stories uh, uh, for sure. But typically, all of the bigger high profile stories are the Democrats going in the other direction. This story from I believe this is from New Mexico, Santa Fe. Check this out. Harry Montoya to run for CD3 as GOP. Perennial Democrat candidate says he's now a proud Republican. (laughs) What is happening? 
When Brandon Strzok started the walk away movement, I don't think he realized how many people were waiting for him. And he's faced criticism. They've called him, you know, an astroturfer or whatever they want to call it, saying it's Russian bots. It's not. Politicians are doing it. This guy apparently is New Mexico's third congressional district seat. He was a Democrat. He was a Democrat. He was a Democrat now running as a Republican. That to me is, is, is shocking. Check out this story from the New York Post. Why these black New Yorkers are voting for Trump in 2020. These people, to my understanding, are part of the walkaway movement. There's a guy named Brandon Strzok. I believe, I, I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, Brandon. And he started this movement, but I think the movement was there. It was waiting for him almost. He made a video that went viral talking about all the problems of the Democratic Party and why it was basically disgusting him and why he wanted to leave. Now he's wearing a MAGA hat. And this guy is a gay hairdresser from New York City. I think I got that right. So he's certainly seen the problems on the left and many others have joined him. When I first saw the viral video campaign, I thought I was like, wow, that's interesting. I'm not surprised. Then it went really viral. Now the dude's got hundreds of thousands of followers on social media. And many people have now stood up in his with being inspired by him to stand up for what they believe in and walk away as well. I'm not saying you should. I'm not saying it's right or wrong. I'm just saying it happened. And I kind of feel like when Brandon made that video, there were so many people waiting for someone to say it so they could just up and leave. Now, you guys know me, milk toast fence sitter. I don't think I ever have to actually say that I would be leaving the left or whatever because I rag on Democrats on the left all day and night. My position is begrudgingly accepting of how awful the Democratic Party has become and that I am holding out and crossing my fingers that the party can be saved at some point. But for the time being, I have no problem saying these people have lost it. And I completely understand why so many people have walked away. Let's read a little bit of the story from the New York Post. Four years ago, candidate Donald Trump's pitch to African-Americans heading to voting booths was simple. What do you have to lose? While he captured just 8% of the black vote in 2016, recent polls suggest things could be different this time around. In November, an Emerson poll reported a 34.5% approval rating among black voters, and a January Gallup poll reported a 14% increase in satisfaction over race relations among Americans. Here, five black New Yorkers, all former Democrats, tell the Post why they're flipping parties and voting Republican this year. It is not just at the elected level. It is at the individual level these people are doing this. There are many people who are on the left who are secret Trump voters. The New York Times called this Trump's whisper network. It played a huge role in Donald Trump's victory in 2016 because there were many people who would publicly say they wouldn't vote for him, but privately they went and did. Others think that when the pollsters started calling, nobody wanted to admit they would vote for Trump out of a fear of cancel culture. And now we're seeing electoral results. Although there was some kind of blue wave in 2018 with large voter turnout, things might be reversing now. In this story from the Western Journal, we can see Republicans celebrate after special election flips Kentucky seat held by Democrats for 33 years. I have no idea what's going on in this country. But this district in Kentucky was held by Democrats for 33 years and Republicans just took it back. I mean, that's really good news for Republicans. And it may show that these politicians who are, who are switching parties are making the right choice in doing so because the voters don't want Democrats out of a fear of a rise in socialism and woke ideology. I want to be fair, however. Taking a look at New Jersey's 2nd District, which is very close to the Philadelphia to the uh, metro, which is Pennsylvania, this is where Jeff Van Drew won. 
A Republican held this seat for about 28 years. And then Jeff Van Drew ran as a Democrat and defeated Seth Grossman in 2018. So it is true. It is fair to say that Democrats flipped some seats that were held by Republicans. The only problem is that Jeff Van Drew is now a Republican. So once again, the Republicans still hold this seat. The Democratic Party is not faring well. Although they had pretty good voter turnout in yesterday's South Carolina primary, they say it's setting near record turnout in South Carolina. But here's what needs to be said about their near record turnout. The New York Times, in referencing New Hampshire, says some Democrats have cited an exciting sounding statistic. Turnout broke the record set in 2008. This is in New Hampshire when 287,542 people voted in the Democratic primary. This is noteworthy, but it is mostly attributable to the fact that there are more eligible voters in New Hampshire now than in 2008. The percentage of eligible voters who participated did not change much. Also, because unaffiliated voters can participate in primaries in New Hampshire, it is tricky to compare cycles in which both parties have competitive races meaning unaffiliated voters have to choose between two serious contests with cycles in which one party has an incumbent whose renomination is a foregone conclusion. This did not mean that breaking the 2008 uh, record was insignificant. A lot of people did come out to vote. But for all the people saying, yes, we did it, we broke that record, you got to consider population growth as well as domestic migration and people moving into the state. And then the New York Times says it's actually not that good. And I also got more bad news for the Democrats. Look, I know this whole thing is basically about people switching parties. The Democrats are still seeing people vote in their primary. But what happens when the people who voted in New Hampshire, who voted for Yang, now switch for Trump or don't vote? That voter turnout won't translate to a Democratic vote in the general election, like I stated earlier. But more importantly, 538 with this hot take, increased voter turnout could benefit Republicans or Democrats in 2020. Thanks, 538. You just don't know, do you? The point is, while many people want to say that high voter turnout is good for Democrats, Moody's Analytics, for instance, said with maximum voter turnout, Trump loses by a teeny tiny margin. 538 disagrees. I don't want to pretend like either is more correct than the other, though Moody's has been extremely accurate in all of their forecast models based off economics. I think the only time they were wrong was with Donald Trump. But now we can see 538 saying, Maybe that's just not true. It could help Republicans. And one of the reasons is that swing state voters who tend not to vote are more likely to vote Republican. At least that was one poll we saw in the past week or so. The bad news across the board for Democrats is that the reason why we're seeing moderate voter turnout, the reason why people are switching parties is because the Democratic Party is just in complete chaos it really is falling apart from Nancy Pelosi's poor leadership, the failed impeachment, Trump's successes, a booming economy, a record peace deal. Things for Trump are just too good. Meanwhile, an insurgent campaign from far left activists and socialists is trying to take the Democratic Party, meaning their concentration is split on two fronts. The latest predictive model from 538 shows that no one is going to win the nomination. So who is the best candidate to win? We have no idea. Bernie Sanders has a 27% chance, according to 538's prediction model. Joe Biden has a 14% chance. 
but there is a near 60% chance no one gets it. And this will be the first brokered convention since 1952. And then you know what happens? The delegates will vote for Biden or Buttigieg or Bloomberg, not Bernie. And then the far left will trounce about Milwaukee's downtown city center, trashing windows and going nuts and blaming the poor working people of Milwaukee for a problem the Democrats create. And what do you think the people in these cities are going to do when they see the violence and destruction and the riots like they've been seeing with Antifa? They're going to start saying maybe Trump is right about these people and they're going to witness it firsthand in good old blue Milwaukee. But it's hard to know exactly what will happen. Things can change. Maybe Bernie rallies up new voters. It doesn't look like it doesn't look like it's going to happen. But there's one thing that is for certain going down to the smallest, smallest level. And I mean that with the utmost respect. I'm not trying to disregard this town, the small towns of America, particularly in Pennsylvania. These people are saying no. And in a town that once had a four to one Democratic majority, two people switched, giving Republicans the majority. I think we can expect something similar to happen. Now, not not at the national level. It's going to get interesting. There are a lot of districts that are heavy blue and that will not change. But when we see small towns, when we see commissioners and candidates switching to the Republican Party, when state senators quit, when national level congressmen like Jeff Van Drew switch, giving the Republicans back a seat they had held for 28 years, why should I assume Democrats can win? Michael Moore says Trump can win. And that guy says a bunch of crazy stuff. Most people on the left of of sound mind, we see high profile people saying Trump's going to win and we all know it. The activists can spit and yell all they want. But while Bernie Sanders rises in the ranks, there is a growing fear that this will actually boost the Republican Party. And as you heard from this commissioner in Roosterver, it's it's the rise of socialism. They don't want to be involved in that. Moderate Democrats worried about Sanders surge in 2020 field. Yep, because when it comes to the House, people are going to see Sanders at the top of the ticket and they're going to say, no way, no thank you. From the polls in the primary yesterday in South Carolina, I believe it was around 56% of Democratic voters favored socialism, which means a lot of Democrats probably quit and they don't care anymore because the Gallup polls show nationwide most people actually would never vote for a socialist. And we've actually seen it from Gallup as well. Today, as of 2019 into today, more people consider themselves Republican, less people consider themselves Democrats. Walk away is legit. It's happening. More and more people are walking away and elected officials are finally stepping through that fire and saying enough. They won't they won't run for a, they, they, they don't want to be involved in a party that's dominated by socialism. So you let me know what you think. But I guess we can only wait and see. I, I think this is fascinating what's happening in the small town. And it's not just there. It's everywhere. So I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash Timcast News. Thanks for hanging out. And I will see you all next time. Ladies and gentlemen, last night, something truly unthinkable happened, leaving many people panicked and in disarray. Joe Biden actually won South Carolina and boy, did he win. He swept up clean. Now, the people who are in disarray and panicked are the more progressive Democrats. The moderates are cheering. But let me just tell you, the Democratic voters are running around like chickens with their heads cut off. Right now on 538, the prediction model says there's a 60% chance nobody wins, which means we're going to a brokered convention, which means the super delegates will play a role in which Democrat gets the nomination. And Antifa and far leftists will probably 
be rioting in the streets because Bernie is on track for the popular win in the nominating process, but that's not how the nomination works. More importantly, what I'm trying to get at as we hear this wonderful news for Joseph R. Biden Jr. is that every single time someone does slightly well, the national polls swing like lunatics, donations go flying, No one has any idea what they're voting for or why. They are all desperate to vote on one core issue, orange man bad. And they're desperately trying to find whoever could win. But here's the problem. The point of the nomination process is to find the strongest candidate. Now, I guess if you ask the Bernie Sanders supporters, it would be to prop up the establishment Democrats. And I think to an extent, that's a kind of that's a fair point. But typically, The reason they nominate this way throughout the entire country is to say who has the best chance of winning, who can attract the biggest base. Right now, we're learning not a single Democrat has what it takes to attract the largest base and donors and voters just bounce back and forth. All you got to do is say, did you know that Bernie's winning and Bernie's polls skyrocket? Pete Buttigieg is winning. Buttigieg's polls skyrocket. Joe Biden was polling nationally in the top place the entire time. And then as soon as he loses one primary his polls tank. How does that make sense? How could you have the entire country saying, yes, we'll vote for Biden? He loses one. No, we won't vote for Biden. Take a look at national polling. Before any primary, Joe Biden was the front runner. Elizabeth Warren briefly overtook him, but she fell off for reasons I will get into in a second. She got woke and went broke, and now she's going to flop out. We then saw Bernie Sanders skyrocket because he won a couple primary. He won a caucus in, in a primary. Technically, I think, you know, he's at uh, two or three, but Joe Biden plummeted. Why? Why would a voter stop supporting the candidate they like after he lost the primary? Could it be that they're only voting on who they think is going to win and they're voting on nothing? They have no principles. What are you voting for? You're supporting Bernie Sanders. You support Buttigieg. Buttigieg jumped up in the polls in New Hampshire after Iowa because he won the delegate count. All of a sudden, people were like, I support him. Why? How does that make sense that you stop supporting a progressive in favor of a moderate simply because he won a race? That shows you the only thing they're campaigning on is orange man bad. And that's it. So they're all sitting there, fingers crossed, saying, I don't care who wins. Just get me the guy who has the best opportunity to go up against Trump. But here's the problem. The nominating process is supposed to be it's it's supposed to be weeding out the strongest candidate, but it's not because people aren't voting on policy or principle. Look at it this way. Let's say you have 10 candidates and they all offer up, you know, one through 10. You're trying to sort the, you're using an algorithm to sort out which number is the most likely to win based on the support for that number. But people aren't choosing a number they like. They're choosing whichever one they think will win. And so whenever one goes up, it can't sort properly. And now we're seeing wacky craziness. No one's going to want to drop out of the race now because they think they'll get the nomination through a brokered convention. Thus, the self-fulfilling prophecy of democratic chaos and collapse is upon us. 538, a three in five chance no one wins the nomination. So why would Elizabeth Warren drop out? Oh, she's got a 0.1% chance of winning, according to the prediction model. Except when you realize superdelegates might say, well, you know, we're going to pick, pick her instead. Now, I do think there is a fair point and that the superdelegates might actually pick Bernie Sanders. I really don't think so, because as we know, there have been numerous stories about how Democrats are absolutely willing to destroy their entire party 
if it means stopping Bernie Sanders. So the Democratic establishment does not care if Bernie can beat Trump. Bernie is an existential threat who is infinitely worse than Trump. So yes, if it comes to a brokered convention, they'll probably prop up Joe Biden. So why would he drop out even though he's not winning? Right now, as I showed you in the polls, his polls slightly improved. Look at that. He went up a little bit. Joe Biden's going to start going up. Bernie's going to start going down because the Democratic voter has no idea what they're voting for. They're simply saying run against Trump. How is that going to work? How is that enough to convince middle America and swing states when Trump's bringing back factories to Michigan? When, when the manufacturing base, it, well, it went up a lot in December. I'm not checking the numbers right now, but we're seeing record job numbers, record low unemployment. The economy is doing really, really, really well, except in the markets, which right now took a big hit, which I think might be a bit artificial because people are kind of panicking. Anyway, here's the point. Check out this tweet. New on Meet the Press. Joe Biden says his campaign raised $5 million in the last 24 hours. That's more than his campaign has ever raised, I believe. I don't know by what, by what metric, but people are freaking out saying, whoa, look at all this money Joe Biden's raising. You know why? The Democratic voters are not sitting down and saying, Joe Biden's offered up a, a, a you know, public option policy, but opposes Medicare for all. That's a tough question, isn't it? Now, Bernie Sanders wants Medicare for all. Which one is the right choice? That's not a conversation being had by any of these Democratic voters. They're simply sitting in their rooms and they're with their resistance little pink hats on saying, who's going to beat Trump? That's the problem. If you're not choosing who you think is the strongest and you're only choosing who you think might win, then none of them are going to be strong and none of them are going to win. And you're going to nominate the wrong person because y'all are crazy. Now we see this is rather hilarious. The resurrection of Joe Biden Wednesday was the start of Lent and Joe Biden gave up losing. I, I am, I, I must say I am a bit flabbergasted. I am flabbergasted that sleepy, creepy Joe actually pulled off a win in South Carolina. But I can't say I'm too surprised because, you know, at a certain point you were going to see that these cities that don't have, well, there's a diverse population in South Carolina. And everyone said Nevada was proof Bernie was going to win. But for some reason, Bernie actually lost to Tom Steyer and Tom Steyer bailed out of the race. We have a lot of funny things going on today, but I do think it's funny that there's, there's nothing happening. It is, it is bedlam. At the end of the day, the economy is good and voters are going to be motivated by whether or not their life is going well. The Democrats are trying to claim that, you know, Trump is a bad leader. He's ineffective. But when people's lives are good, they just don't care. And they're not listening right now. Regular Americans are counting their money. They're not listening to you screech about Trump's demeanor, his behavior, or even foreign policy. They're counting their money. And that's the big challenge. The people who aren't counting their money, even though there was a poll from Hill Harris X showing, I think it was Hill Harris X, showing that even Democrats recognize the economy is great under Trump. They're like, well, I get it. But you know, I think climate change is an issue. Those people are just panicked and, and on Twitter screeching about how Trump is awful, but they are a minority. The Democrats are not offering us anything. And that's, and that's you know, it's, it's, a, it's a shame to see. Democrats don't have anything to actually offer because things are going well enough. They've offered us extreme far left policy. And I want to show you exactly why, uh, what, what, what was it? Uh, uh, Elizabeth Warren. Wow, I forgot her name for a second. Crystal Ball of The Hills Rising said, 
So in in reference to this tweet, Warren apparent finishes in first four contests, third, fourth, fourth, fifth. It's getting worse for Warren. And Crystal Ball says, it's actually her name. I'm not trying to be a dick. Abandoning economic populism in favor of gender tokenism has been a disaster for Warren. It truly makes me sad to watch her now trying to actively harm the progressive movement in hopes of being Biden's VP or whatever. In response to the tweet, one man named John Lindsay said, my partner is feminist as they come and I am pro her and pro feminist. We both agree that Elizabeth, who we both once loved, has switched from policy to identity pandering. Identity does not come before policy and certainly doesn't replace it. Someone then responded, it's possible to be a feminist and engage in misogyny, such as accusing a woman of engaging in an identity pandering. And there you go. That's why it's going to be impossible for for y'all to win. Now, I understand why Elizabeth Warren has switched to identity pandering because they don't have any policies to offer the American people. What happens when people who are concerned about health care make a ton of money? Well, they're not so concerned about health care when they can afford it, right? What happens when people who are concerned about foreign policy see Trump sign a major peace agreement? Well, there's not a whole lot you can offer them when Trump is doing more than Obama did. What happens when you say the economy isn't working for regular people and the regular people are counting $100 bills because their business is doing better than ever? There is nothing you can offer them. The only thing you can is to con- the only thing you can do is to try and convince them that they're victims. So Elizabeth Warren, in my opinion, probably looked at the numbers and said, you know what? Maybe we need to shift away from policy because there's literally nothing we can offer these people. They've got everything. And just tell them men hate them, I guess, or white cis men hate them. Maybe that'll work for us. And it doesn't. Because the very few people that are actually paying attention, you've got the woke resistance types who are freaking out about how bad the orange man is. You've got general resistance types who just screech about the orange man. And that's all you really have. But in the end, most of these people are concerned about issues that, say, Bernie Sanders is bringing up. There's a reason why he's won the popular vote thus far. But I also think it's, it's fair to say that if Bernie came out and said, I'm going to give you a bunch of free stuff, don't ask me how I'm going to pay for it. You know, a lot of dumb people are going to go for it. So why is it that the Democratic Party is in shambles? Why is everything bouncing around back and forth? Because not every Democrat is stupid enough to believe that you can have a $30 trillion health care program implemented overnight when you're talking about more money than we actually in, in our actual GDP. People don't seem to understand that the, the entire U.S. economy isn't just government spending. So the Green New Deal and all these things, you can't do it. It makes no sense. Now, there are adults who hate Trump and are desperately trying to figure out what to do. And so they are looking at policy and they're screeching, you got to do Biden. Unfortunately, they have courted woke identitarianism too much. And Warren is still trying to do it in a desperate bid to win the activist vote. And guess what? That don't work either. Warren got woke and went broke. You've also got the big problem of what I would say is complete and total hypocrisy. You know, I'll, I'll put it this way. When I look at the Democratic Party right now, it is just a bunch of chickens running around squawking. I don't see, you know, imagine a giant rooster with a wavy blonde Donald Trump hair, and that's what's happening. They're strutting around, kicking up his feet, eating the bugs in the grass. And the Democratic Party, as I've said before, it's like Trump is playing chess. Democrats are playing checkers, but it's basically like a giraffe bashing its face on the checkerboard. 
They're not actually doing anything that makes sense. They're not standing up for principles. They attack certain things and then embrace it. Bernie Sanders said last year that we can't open up our borders to the poor because there's too many poor people. But now he's slowly started incorporating open borders policies like no more deportations, decriminalizing border crossings, breaking up customs and border protection. How are you going to come out and be like, we can't open the borders and then a year later be like, but we are going to get rid of all of the border guards, no, lo- no more deportations, and we are not going to make it, we're, we're going to decriminalize border crossings. What? They don't stand for anything. And I'll tell you what, if you don't stand for something, you will fall for anything. That's a saying, right? Now, <laughs> on to the more stupid. Boards, uh, Bernie Sanders boards the wrong private jet. Oh, heavens, TMZ, come on. The case of campaign brain. Now, I am personally a Offended by this article from TMZ. Which one of us has not accidentally boarded the wrong private jet? It's such a common problem for everyday Americans. I mean, think about it. You know, you wake up, it's super early. Maybe you're a bit hungover. You hop in the Escalade. You know, you tell the driver, take me to, to JFK Airport, you know, down in New York City or whatever. And they, you know, they pull through the gates. You flash your, your, your you know, the driver flashes flashy badge. They pull up to the, to the you know, to the hangar area. You hop out. You've been on your phone, your head's hurting, you're, you know, you walk up and <laughs> silly you, you got in the Gulf, you got, you walked into the Gulf Stream 650 and your staff starts yelling at you saying, no, no, Bernie, we're in the Gulf Stream 500 and you go, <laughs> oh, geez, you know, it happens to the best of us. This is a problem every American can relate to getting in the wrong private jet, huh? Look, I've talked about it before and I, and, and, and I think first. I do not. You're gonna have to explain to me why Bernie Sanders is flying around in a private jet and why why Elizabeth Warren is. I think it's simple. They don't actually have any plans. These people have no principles. They have no policies. There was a photo that went viral of Bernie Sanders flying first class. And the dude who posted it wasn't dragging him. He was like, look at this guy in first class. But a bunch of conservatives were like, aha, we caught you, Bernie, flying first class. And I'm like, no, Bernie should, should fly first class. First of all, campaigns are rough. And I can understand even to an extent the need for a private jet, but not when your principles are in the way. Bernie, Warren, all of them should be flying first class because first of all, I I could not imagine doing the amount of work they're doing on a campaign and flying coach because you need to sleep. And and, 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 And in first class on a lot of flights, you can't even sleep on those seats. They're just wider and more comfortable. More importantly, I'm not going to drag Bernie over flying first class because you probably earn awards points flying so much. When I worked for Vice, I flew almost twice a week. I flew first class basically every time, not because they paid for it. They certainly didn't, but because I was executive platinum status with American Airlines. So whenever I boarded, they'd be like, you get a free upgrade. As long as seat was available, I was basically in first class every single time, not a 90% of the time. But Bernie, given the option, should even he should buy a first class ticket. First of all, for regional flights, it's not that much more expensive. But think about what someone's got to be doing on a campaign. You're awake, you're, you're up late, you're campaigning, you're dealing with, you know, uh, consultants and says, oof, man, I could not imagine that. That's stressful. Now, a private plane is where I'd probably draw the line. I don't think you're going to be able to explain to me how you justify a private jet. Not only that, one of the things they point out is that Bernie and Warren flew, were flying to like the same place and they flew, th- look at this, They say some have criticized Sanders for flying private at all, seeing how he rails against billionaires and elites. In fact, earlier this month, he was spotted boarding a private aircraft while Liz Warren got her own jet as they both flew back to D.C. from different locations just 36 minutes apart. 
The implication, they could have flown together, spared the air, etc. Down in South Carolina, someone alleged he had as many as three Gulf streams to himself to get somewhere just a couple hours away. Unclear if that's true, but here's something to keep in mind. So this person tweeted, it's a two hour drive from Charleston to Myrtle Beach and locals do it all the time. Not Bernie Sanders. He and his entourage flew from Charleston to Myrtle Beach in not one, not two, but three Gulfstream jets today. It took them 10 minutes to fly. Who is the elitist? Dude, I, I can totally understand some private jet. So, so let, me, let me try and break down some stigma, though. There, you, you can actually fly in a private jet for relatively cheap. I say relatively. They have these programs where you and like, you know, 10 other people would all put down, you know, 500 bucks and you can charter a, fi- a, pri- a private jet. The reason that actually makes sense is that, you know, well, I would say if Bernie was flying with Warren, it makes sense because your ticket's only like 500 bucks. So it, it really does depend on what you buy. Some, some private flights are like $20,000. So depending on how many people you have, it might be a couple grand per person if you're doing like 10 people. But you know, I'm not, I, I want to make sure I, I'm fair. I think that actually can make sense to a certain degree. If Bernie spent two grand to get himself a seat in a private jet because he needed to make a specific timeline, I think that makes sense. Up, in, up until you talk about Bernie's policies and principles. You want to talk about a Green New Deal? Well, the Green New Deal, uh, the FAQ at least, was advocating for doing away with planes. You want to talk about fighting for the environment? I'm sorry. You're going to have to wait the, cu- the couple of hours to get on a commercial jet like everybody else. Don Jr. was flying commercial because he understands optics. I get it. He's not campaigning, though. I mean, he technically is. He's, he's helping out his dad. But uh, you're, you're going to have to explain to me how you want to claim to fight for something but then, well, rules for thee, but not for me. When Warren got busted on that private plane, she's like hiding behind somebody because they know. They know it's hypocrisy. So, so look, here's the ultimate point. There's going to be riots in Milwaukee at the DNC. That's the best I can see as of today. Now, it's entirely possible that, you know, uh, in the next couple of months, I mean, Super Tuesday is coming up. Maybe things will change. Maybe Bernie skyrockets to first place, can't get caught, whatever. But at this point with South Carolina, I think Super Tuesday is going to be a split like crazy. All of the Democrats currently in the race are crossing their fingers because they might actually get the nomination through superdelegates. So why drop out now? And it also guarantees Bernie can't win because they're splitting the votes. The far left will show up in Milwaukee. They'll, they'll, they'll bash some skulls. They'll smash some windows. Bernie's going to claim, oh, I was cheated. And, you know, maybe it's true, depending on who they nominate. Bernie's going to claim, I won the popular vote. I'm the best candidate. And they're going to say, no, you're not. But in the end, what I really want to get at with this long rant about democratic chaos, I want you to watch the polls because when Biden collapsed in national polling, I was confused. If Joe Biden's policy ideas were the best, then it shouldn't matter if he lost one or two primaries. You'd say, no, he's still better than Sanders. I'm going to vote for him. The polls changed when Bernie won. And you know that shows us the democratic voters were sitting there thinking, you know what? If Biden can't win, I'm not going to vote for Biden. So when the pollsters call up, they say, who are you voting for? Well, I guess I'm voting for Bernie now. Why? Because he won a couple popular votes. You're not voting on principle. You're just voting for who you think will win. And because of this, it is a chaotic nominating process and the best candidate will not win. Unfortunately, it also shows the voters themselves don't have strong principles they care about. They just want to win. Sorry. That won't be enough to convince people to abandon a good economy. 
I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 1 p.m. on this channel, and I will see you all then. We have two big breaking updates on the coronavirus. First, a new report says that China knew about the disease and covered it up. And the next big breaking story, which is more pertinent to you, Washington has declared a state of emergency amid coronavirus death and illness at nursing home. A person in the Seattle area died. Two others tested positive for the virus in a long-term care center where dozens of people have reported feeling ill. These are the most important updates. Now, I will say the China thing is a bit of confirmation bias. We all suspected China was lying. We now have a report saying that they've been lying the whole time. Now, keep this in mind. When Senator Tom Cotton testified saying that it is very likely China is lying about this and it could be way worse, Facebook was taking down the videos. We don't want to spread panic and fear. Why? By telling people to remain vigilant. There are good reasons why you absolutely should not panic. I mean, it's some of the best reasons. Don't panic ever. It's not going to help you survive. It's going to hurt you. But we should understand what's going on so we can take the proper precautions. Now we're dealing with a state of emergency in Washington. And according to one user on Twitter, they say that they're a scientist. They say according to, they, they mapped the, they, they sequenced the genome of COVID-19 uh, due to the, the community case in Snohomish County, Washington, saying this strongly suggests that there has been cryptic transmission in Washington state for the past six weeks. He says it's possible that this genetic similarity is a coincidence and these are separate introductions. However, I believe this is highly unlikely. The WA1 case had a variant at site 18060. The variant is only present in two out of 59 viruses from China. Look, I can't break down exactly what this means for you, but a lot of people are talking about this. He links to a website, gisaid.org, basically saying they believe transmission could have been occurring in Washington for some time now. And now we are seeing a state of emergency in Washington. There's potentially an outbreak at a nursing home. I'm going to I want to make sure I say this. because I say it in every video, but please, it's not the end of the world. But what I want to do is I, I definitely want to read about the state of let's read about the state of emergency. But I do want to talk about all these people who are saying, what about the flu? What about the flu? Oh, what about the flu? You want you want me to show you the data from the flu? Yeah, I'm going to explain to you exactly why coronavirus is serious. Not the end of the world. You will likely not even get it. There are there are some high end speculations of, you know, mystery disease X or whatever they call it. Just keep calm. This will probably be a serious outbreak. I mean, it already is. But the likelihood that this is the end of the world is like point zero 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 zero. It's just not it's, it's astronomical. We're going to be totally, totally fine. But I do have some stuff to show you. First, let's do the news. The New York Times reports concerns about the coronavirus intensified across the Pacific Northwest on Saturday after a person from the Seattle area died as two new cases emerged inside a nursing care center in Kirkland, Washington, where dozens of other people were reported to be feeling sick. Governor Jay Inslee of Washington declared a state of emergency and said officials were considering canceling sporting events, closing schools and taking any other steps needed to slow the spread of the virus. If and this is a big if there is a social distancing strategy that becomes necessary, the emergency declaration would give us some legal authority at two schools that have had ties to cases in Oregon and in Washington. Officials announced that they were shuttering buildings for several days and ordering deep cleanings. And in Kirkland, where a healthcare worker in her, uh, in her 40s at the Life Care Center, a long-term nursing home, and a resident in the center in her 70s were reported on Saturday to have tested positive for the virus. Health officials expressed alarm at the possibility of more cases among 288 residents and workers at Life Care. More than 50 people, 25 healthcare workers and 27 residents have shown symptoms of respiratory illness or have been hospitalized for pneumonia, local officials said. 
We are very concerned about an outbreak in a setting where there are many older people, said Jeff Duchin, the health officer for public health in Seattle and King County. A team of federal health workers was dispatched to Kirkland to assist local workers, and many more coronavirus tests were expected to be conducted in the coming days. Older people are much more likely to face serious illness. If infected with the virus, they are also much more likely to die. An analysis of Chinese patients found that nearly 15% of infected people over 80 have died. Of those in their 70s, 8% have died. The mortality rate is, is, is low, but it's much, much higher than many other illnesses, including the flu. We have, let me, let me show you something. Here's the current coronavirus death total. This is from worldometers.info. This does line up with what we've seen, so I'm assuming it's the most up-to-date. There have been 2,995 deaths. Many people are saying that's barely any deaths relative to, you know, the, the potential millions or so we might see from a flu in flu season or hundreds of thousands. That's not the point. First, it's a new virus we have no immunity to, and we have no preparation for how to deal with it. It's true that we do have flu vaccines, and they're not, they're not, they're, I think that the effective rate in, in youth is like 55%. I actually have the, the CDC pulled up, not perfect, but we have and understand what the flu is, what it does, and we have systems in place because we expect a flu season. This is something we didn't expect and may persist for a long time, and we are now trying to build those systems. The problem, first and foremost, is always going to be panic. People are panic selling in the markets. That's ridiculous. I, I, I can't believe people are doing that. Panic will be worse than the actual virus. So don't panic, please, everybody. The virus will affect people. If you're young, you tend to be fine. But to all the people saying, what about the flu, Tim? I get all these people tweeting at me because I, I tweet out that Vox article. Vox.com, the left-wing site, said it is not overreacting to start preparing for the coronavirus. Wash your hands, limit contact, and yes, you might want to have some supplies. People started saying, oh, please, Tim, do you react this way for every flu season? No, because flu season is predictable, normal, and the government has a tracking system for it, and they actually have multiple flu vaccines they do every year, and they ask you to get your flu shots. It's not that flu is, is, is somehow safe, but for the most part, we expect it. We know how to deal with it. This is different. This is new. And we want to get a lid on things. But more importantly, the mortality rate could be up to 20 times higher than the flu is. So people talk about the spread of the flu and how the total amount of people who die is much, much greater. Yes, that's why we want to stop this. And we want to overreact instead of underreact. There's some good news. And then I want to show you the flu information. We can see that total deaths have slowly started tapering. This is because we have now reacted. And because we've reacted, we are getting people in the hospitals faster. We are tracking the spread of the virus. And though we can't contain it as well as we'd like to, it is being slowed down. And people who show symptoms are getting hospitalized faster, which means the total deaths will go down. And just like with swine flu, as we get a handle on things, the mortality rate may begin to drop now because we paid attention to it. Case in point, if you ignore this and say, what about the flu? The mortality rate will be higher. By reacting to this the way governments have, that will reduce the mortality rate. So the stupidest thing anyone can do is be like, but what about, but what about? No, but what about? Okay, we have to take these things seriously and build preparation systems for these. The spread of this was incredibly fast. And according to a man who was on the Diamond Princess cruise ship, he said he felt fine, totally fine, boarded the plane. And like an hour later, he had a hard fever. He was struggling and he was really, really out of it. Like he was really sick and he said, hit, hit hard and it hit fast. And that's the challenge. By the time you realize you're hit, 
Will you make it in time? So it's a good thing we are overreacting and not underreacting. And anybody who says, but what about the flu? I'm going to show you the data. First, good news. We are getting a, ra- you know, a lid on things so far. Most of this was occurring in China. The challenge now will be that it's affecting the United States. We're seeing a state of emergency in San Francisco and in Washington state. You, you will likely not get this, okay? I think what we're seeing right now, we are reacting very, very well as, as, a, as a world. Not perfect. There have been a lot of deaths in, in Iran, for instance, 210, and affecting some high-level you know, politicians or government officials. We want to take it seriously because it's new. And if we react properly, then the, more, the, the harder we, you know, we come at this, you know, even overreacting, if you want to call it that, the, the more we can mitigate the damage this will cause. So this is the good news. I, I, I want to make sure it's clear that likely the worst case scenario is supply chain disruption because people are going out and they're, they're stocking up on supplies. I think I might have. I might, yeah, here we go. This is, this is from Twitter. Just some woman. Every other cart at Costco looks like this. Cashier said they have sold four trucks of water yesterday. People are buying tons of water. You know what I absolutely cannot stand? So I've done a promo for uh, a company that, that offers up, you know, a, a couple weeks supply of food and stuff. I'm not going to do a shout out now. I think I've, you know, said what I said, what, what I could have said about it. But a lot of people are, are trying to mock or belittle or, or, you know, insult me for it. I'm just laughing. I'm just like, dude, you can say whatever you want. But when you have the CDC, when you have the World Health Organization, when you have Vox, when you have governments reacting this way, I think it's about time to, to make sure you, you slowly mosey onto a store, take your time, grab an extra can of beans, don't buy a year supply, don't buy every can, don't freak out. That's not the issue. But what's really surprising to me, and I say this a lot, so, so forgive me if it bears, forgive me, but it bears repeating. I cannot believe there are people who would buy a first aid kit, then they never use it. One day they get a cut on their finger and they're like, where are the, where are the band-aids? And then even know where the band-aids are. That's how rarely they use it. But for some reason they bought it. Yet you drink water literally every day. <laughs> I hope so. You drink water every day. You eat food every day. And you think you're, gonna, you're more likely going to need the first aid kit? Like how often have you run into somebody who's like got a femoral artery bleed and you need to use that tourniquet you bought or that gauze? Like it's rare, almost never. And, and what happens is when people do get a cut on their finger, they don't even remember where they put the band-aids because they never use them. Yet I assure you, people are pouring themselves a glass of water, a lot of them right now as we speak. I don't care about the coronavirus in terms of what you should be taking care of. I think it's a good idea to have a weak supply of food because we have a doctor on Twitter in Switzerland who's saying, listen, if you wait to the last minute and the panic erupts, that's what causes problems and strains the system and makes it hard for us to react. So don't let anyone shame you into not taking proper precautions. Now, let's be real. The people who are going out and buying hazmat suits, y'all are a little over the top, but I guess the worst case scenario is you got a hazmat suit. I'm not going to do that. I'm not buying any masks. People are definitely overreacting and a little over the top. You don't need to buy a year's supply of food. That, I think, is kind of weird. But let's be real. What's the worst case scenario is you're going to eat it anyway. You drink water, you drink. So I'm not going to do that. You know, I went out and got a couple bags of rice and beans. I'm not freaking out. But people are trying to act like anyone who goes and buys a week's supply of, of dried food is some kind of nutter prepper. Oh, please, dude. Don't come knocking on my door when they, they set up a roadblock because they're scared of the virus spreading to the schools or something. Or when people panic buy and there's nothing left for you. I want to show you the what about flu people. What you're seeing here is from the CDC's website, FluView Interactive. And we are looking at right now, the 2019-2020 flu season. Here's what they say. 
This is the per 100,000 infected individuals, per 100,000 population, the hospitalization rate. So somebody who's 18 to 49, 28.6 will be, uh, is a confirmed hospitalization for the flu. I don't know what the actual number is per people who are, are, I don't know if if they mean by infected 100,000 population or if they're saying just for the 100,000 population. But I'm showing you this because yes, we understand that there is a small fraction of individuals who will end up in the hospital due to flu or flu-like symptoms. The hospitalization, hospitalization rate for people who are infected with coronavirus is around 20%. Again, I don't know how that necessarily correlates directly with the percentage of people who get flu who get hospitalized, but I know many people who get flu and you stay home because you know what it is, you know what to expect, and you know what you need. And if it gets bad, you want to go to the hospital. If you contract pneumonia or something, you definitely want to go to the hospital. But my, from my understanding, typical flu season mortality is like 0.1%. And so we have heard, it's been reported in the news that the mortality rate being 2.2% is substantially, substantially higher, in which case you should probably pay attention to what's going on. If your state is declaring a state of emergency, do you think they're doing it because th- like, th- there's nothing really going on and they're bored? Like, I don't understand what people are thinking. Do they, if you want to claim that the media is overhyping everything, fine, that's fine. But is your state government is like, is, is, is the, is the uh, Washington state declaring an emergency because a couple people got sick because there's literally nothing to worry about? So I want to point out a few things. We've seen, uh, there, there's been, a, this, here, here's a story from Seattle Times. Surgeon General urges the public to stop buying face masks amid coronavirus outbreak. Please don't buy face masks. They don't do, well, actually, hold on. I want to make a point. A face mask will not prevent the, uh, contracting the virus. If you're wearing a mask, guess what? It stays on surfaces for up to nine days. It can get in your eyes. And after you take the mask off, it's going to be on your hands. There's, look, wash your hands, take shower, get clean. That's the best thing you can do. But the mask isn't necessarily going to help you. And you can still get the virus because it can go in your eyes. It can be transmitted through mucous membranes. It can go up your nose. But if you're, if you're wearing a mask, you'll be okay. Even a full gas mask won't protect you because it's going to be on surfaces. It spreads. It's the way it works. However, the Surgeon General is urging the public to stop doing this because it's ineffective. Here's the thing. I still kind of think people buying masks is a good thing. You know why? If you wear the mask hoping you won't get the coronavirus, you can still get the coronavirus and you might. And if you do, wearing the mask, what it actually does is prevents you from giving the virus to someone else. The virus typically is transmitted, as far as we know, through, you know, spit and, and, you know, liquid particles from your respiratory system. If you're wearing a mask, when you cough and sneeze and spit and talk, it's being caught by that mask. So it helps prevent the spread. Doctors aren't wearing masks because they're, for the most part, they're, they're concerned about. Uh, so someone asked me, why do doctors wear masks then? Because when you're dealing with sick patients who have their immune systems compromised, you don't want to be spraying viruses and other germs onto their body. So doctors wear masks to prevent the spread of germs they might already have. But sure, there's a tiny degree to which it could probably protect you. But you've got so much exposure on your body. It's, it's, not, what it's, te- it's not what it's for. There was one viral tweet where they're like, notice how doctors are using these versus regular people. Doctors are wearing gloves. They're wearing, you know, plastic glasses because they're trying to prevent the spread from them to other people and, and, and vice versa. They want to mitigate the likelihood they get it. But mostly it's the germs they have going out. When you see doctors in hospitals wearing masks, it's so they don't spit 
into open wounds when they're performing surgery or in, in the faces of people whose immune systems could be compromised. Or it's because you're in a hospital with a lot of sick people and humans can carry and contract and push things around. And hospitals are actually places where people end up getting sick. So you don't need to buy a mask. I'm not going to tell you whether you should or shouldn't because the Surgeon General is saying don't do it. And I'll tell you it's ineffective. But if all of these people panic by masks and all of these people get sick, I mean, that would still slow the spread to an extent, wouldn't it? I don't, I don't know what else to tell y'all other than, look, we, we, we know about the flu and that's why we're not super concerned about it. But I, I do want to point something out. This is a Twitter thread from a woman named Dr. Emma Hodcroft. I'm, I, you know, don't, I, she's got a website. So I'm assuming she's a doctor. It's Twitter. Uh, I will first say that just because it's on the internet doesn't mean it's true, but she makes a bunch of good points that I think are really, really important. If the virus is everywhere, what's the point of preparedness? Saying, she says, on neither why continuing about your day as usual or buying every can in the shop are helpful responses. She says, a main component of uh, preparedness is about putting slack in the system. This manifests in a few ways, public mentality, supply chains and medical systems, your personal life. Governments and health agencies preparing the public allows the public to prepare themselves physically and mentally. The second is a big one a slowly increasing case number with early discussion of canceling schools and events and possible disruption means less panic if these later happen. There's there's a bunch of people on Twitter who like to be like, (laughs) Tim's so dumb. It's like you never really watched one of my videos, right? Because I'm pretty, I'm pretty tepid and milquetoast on everything. Even this, you got your, they're literally companies selling full body hazmat suits. I roll my eyes heavily at that. But like, it's just, I got to say it again, man. It is mind numbing to me when people are like, don't buy food. It's like, what are you talking about? Dude, did you, do you guys remember what happened in Ohio when a toxic algae bloom left 500,000 without drinking water? I was, where where was it at the time? I was, uh, I was at Vice at the time and there was talk about, I think I was at Vice. There was talk about covering this. Like, whoa, what do we do? And the challenge was it's a disaster economy. Bottled water was going for like 40 bucks. The reason for it was because you had to drive like 40 or 50 miles to find water. These things happen, dude. Like, go, go find your, where, where are your Band-Aids at right now? Do you even know? You know where your water is, you turn on the tap. Now, you're probably going to be fine. These services aren't going to be disrupted in, a, in an event like this. But hey, you never know. Sometimes it rains and a flood shuts down the highway. Are you going to rush out to the store and try and buy stuff? Stupid. People are dumb. She goes on. Repeats of everything is fine, followed by big jumps in case number and sudden announcements of closures and disruptions not previously discussed makes people feel the situation is out of control, that authorities don't understand what is happening, that it's time to panic. This leads to panic buying, irrational behavior, mistrust of the advice that's being given. Why did it change so suddenly before? Slack in the public mental state helps people feel informed that they understand situation and have time to prepare. You know, it's the worst case scenario for all for, for everybody who's watched my videos and maybe ordered some food or went to the store and bought some. You know, what the worst case scenario for you is when they announce that there's like some road closures or a state of emergency. You're sitting there eating popcorn being like, oh, well, there it is. The worst case scenario for people who keep saying it's fine and ignoring this is that they go, oh, I got to run to the store now. And they run to Costco like everybody else, and they all start fighting over a can of beans in the parking lot. The panic would be worse. Let's read more. This leads to panic buying, irrational behavior, mistrust of the... Okay, so we read that, right? Slack in the public mental state helps people feel informed, and they understand the situation and have time to prepare. Preparing for a serious illness 
outbreak also means freeing up space in hospitals by doing things like canceling elective procedures. This frees up beds, staff and supplies for incoming disease cases. It also gives hospitals enough time to order more supplies and equipment. It's called, well, I guess you can kind of say it's triage. If you had some dental surgery plan, well, I guess a dentist is different. No one with coronavirus is going to the dentist. But if you had an elective surgery or something that you need to get done that could be postponed, they might say, hey, we're going to give it a week or two. You'll be fine. But we need to open up space to make sure we treat the people who are infected now. Makes sense. Same for pharmacies. Asking people to refill repeat prescriptions now reduces strain later by giving a few, uh, giving a few weeks when pharmacies can focus on increased demand from the outbreak of SARS-CoV-2. Same for medicine supply chains. By advising people to ensure they have a small stock of supplies at home to last a week, we put slack in the food supply. Example, if fewer truck drivers are working, reorganization is needed for store restocking. If people can last a few days without needing to shop, it's much easier. I can't stand the people who sit around lazy. And these are the same kind of people that won't take care of themselves to save their own lives, but then come knocking on your door the minute there's trouble. Remember the old story about the, what is the ants and the grasshopper? We learn this stuff when we're children. All throughout the spring and summer, the ants stocked up supplies and prepared for the winter. And the grasshopper danced around playing and doing whatever it wanted to do. And then sure enough, when winter came, the grasshopper came and knocking, saying, please help me. I don't want to die. And the ant said, we've only prepared for ourselves. I could be murdering that story. Maybe it was a squirrel or something. Anyway, the point is there's, there's, there's an old story that I barely remember from when I was little about why you want to take care of yourself and you shouldn't be relying on other people. If you sit around thinking you have no responsibility for anything, I don't care if it's the coronavirus, man. Let's 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 stop. Let's say the coronavirus is nothing. It's over. Do you have a a five gallon thing of water just in case? Like, dude, plumbing goes out sometimes, especially when you live in big cities. When I lived in North Jersey in the New New York metro, one day I woke up, showered in work and I'm like, oh, man, how am I going to brush my teeth? How am I going to, you know, take a shower? What am I going to drink? What am I going to eat? And I had to go somewhere else. Would have been great if I just had a little bit of water. Like I'm like, oh, I can brush my teeth. No big deal. No, I had to go to the store and go buy some. And it was annoying because I can't remember what happened, but it was like a, a pressure thing in the basement and we lost water in our building. There are thunderstorms where, yeah, the water can be disrupted, where power gets disrupted. So I've got some batteries. I've got some water. Let's read more. She says, important to say why this is important to say this is also why panic buying isn't helpful. Pick up a little extra now in every shop you do, and this is easily absorbed by the system. Buy every can of beans in one go, and you've stressed the system early before there was any need. Yes, and it makes people fight in the street over a can of beans. That's why I'm saying the panic is worse. So if you don't panic, if everyone just calmly sitting down, you know, in their chair saying like, I don't care, it's not a big deal, but I I guess I'll order a thing of food. Well, then we're going to alleviate a lot of the stress. So I, I, you know, let's read more. Finally, being prepared buys you slack in your own system. If supply chains are disrupted temporarily, if quarantine or other measures come into effect, you know you have enough medicine and supplies to let the system adjust. This can be as simple as just knowing you don't have to go to the shop when panic buying is taking place, when full of many people and quickly emptying of most food, stressful, unhelpful, limited food and unwise. You can wait until restock arrives. If quarantine or other measures happen, this will also require a few days of adjustment to coordinate when people can shop, how deliveries can happen, how shop, shop, uh, shop workers are scheduled. Avoiding the confusion at the start helps you and helps the system adjust. In ending, 
I just want to clarify that experts aren't telling you to stock up on essentials because they think you're going to run out of food and society is going to collapse. It's because few days of panic buying and high demand causes more panic and stress systems unnecessarily. That's the point. The panic is worse than the problem. Now, sometimes the problem is absolutely worse, which is why it's excellent that we moved the way we did on this. If someone is screeching, the end is nigh and you need to bug out and run. Don't listen to those people. I've got people saying, what's your plan for when the end happens? Him? And I'm laughing like, dude, come on. The likelihood that anything like that happens is extremely low. Now, I don't want to have an optimism bias because it can't happen. But yeah, I got some supplies. Calm down. You know what we're going to do? We're going to slowly use it for taco night. She, she ends by saying, so preparedness isn't about doing nothing, but also about not overreacting. It's about doing your part to put the slack in our system so that short disruptions are smooth as possible, can absorb extra load, and resources remain available for those most in need. I'll give you another example. Let's say you're driving on a highway, and up ahead, you see there's something in the road, and you keep driving like normally. As you get really close to it, you realize, oh man, I can't dodge this. So you slam the brakes on as hard as possible. The people behind you couldn't see, and all of a sudden they're faced with a split second to slam their brakes, and boom, they rear end you, causing a massive pileup. That's called a shock in the system when there was no slack and people couldn't adjust properly. Let's say you see something in the road far away, so you slowly ease off the gas and start pumping the brake a little bit. People behind you notice you're slowing down, they slow down too. Eventually, as you get close, you say, Ooh, I don't think I'm going around that. And you slow to a stop, and everyone else does very, very slowly, and there's no massive pileup because you went about it in a slow, calm manner. Then some people can move whatever the roadblock is. There's a traffic jam, it's a bummer. These things happen, but everyone carries on just fine. Slamming your brakes and abruptly stopping is bad and just jams up the whole system and causes chaos and irreparable damage. Now the vehicles are destroyed and they can't even move. So we don't want to do that. We want to we want to ease up on the brakes, you know, a little bit. We want to slow things down and then say, oh, you know what? Turns out we we're actually OK. And then you can go around whatever it was, a tire in the road and speed back up and we're all fine. All right. I, I guess I'll, I'll leave it. This one went a little bit long, but I, I just want to stress never let anybody never let anybody shame you into into taking care of yourself. If you want to go out and buy, you know, a tent, a survival kit, just do it. Who cares? I have in my phone, I downloaded a general survival kit because you know what's, what's crazy to me is this idea that we've all become so complacent and pathetic that we can't even start fires on our own. Like how many of you have actually ever started a fire from scratch with some sticks or something? You probably haven't. The likelihood that you'll ever need to is slim to none. But hey man, guess what? Sometimes people get lost in the woods. Improve yourself. Make yourself better, stronger, faster every day. Exercise, eat healthy. And that also means you have a first first aid kit. You got a little bit of water safe because you never know. I'm not saying build a bunker. In fact, I'm saying don't build a bunker because while I don't want to have an optimism bias, the likelihood the world's ending is just slim to none. But hey, guess what? Meteors hit when the dinosaurs were here. You can buy a lottery ticket. Maybe you'll win. I don't know. But if anybody ever wants to mock you and like you're seriously considering buying food, you know what? Just say, I don't care. I, you can do whatever you want. I literally don't care. I, I don't care about how you feel or what you think. And that's the important lesson. Be confident and cool in yourself. Ignore the haters. They want to drag you down. But I will leave you with one last anecdote. Somebody hit me up and said that they didn't think they needed to react at all. I'm going to leave out a lot of private details because this is just like a thank you letter I got. They saw one of my videos where I mentioned just going to the store and picking up some simple supplies and their friends and family were like, oh, calm down. It's not a big deal. They, they were adamant. 
They, this is what they told me. They said they went to the store. They bought just like a week's worth of groceries like they normally do. They just decided to go grocery shopping early. And then sure enough, they got put in a lockdown. And a lot of the shore, stores had their shelves cleaned out. And they said, I'm glad that we, we went when we did because they didn't clean out, the, clean out the store. They did their normal routine grocery shopping. They just decided to go and do it early. That's the important point. Now, we don't know how long a lot of these quarantines or lockdowns will last, but maybe they'll run out. But they're going to be better off than a lot of people who are now, you know, worried and, and stripping shelves dry. I'll leave it there. You do what you want to do. I'm going to do what I want to do. And you know what? In the worst case scenario, I'll be up playing video games, watching TV, waiting for this all to blow over, and I'll be having sweet and delicious tacos, a little bit of guacamole on them. Stick around. I'll see you in the next segment at 4 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. It is a different channel. I'll see you there. We get another hoax hate crime targeting Trump supporters. But fortunately, this is a super quick mystery. The guy who did it was arrested for insurance fraud. Apparently, he damaged his own vehicle, spray painted something about Trump on it or whatever, and I guess he got arrested. South Haven man who reported racist graffiti on vehicles charged with insurance fraud. So it feels kind of good to see that this, we're getting some quick justice. But we've got two stories in this segment. The next one I want to talk about is kind of an inversion. I, I like to do this because I want to give a dose of reality to the people who think that Trump supporters are the ones going crazy. This is a guy who staged a hoax event. We'll read it. And now we have Mexican restaurant owners being harassed because they went to a Trump rally. This is common. It flows in this direction. And in sort of a commentary on the video I did earlier on my main channel, you should see it. Democrats are quitting the party elected officials to join the Republicans. This is why politics flows in one direction. On one side, you have a hoax hate crime. On the other side, you have people saying they support the president and getting their restaurant harassed for simply expressing an opinion. What do you think is going to happen? Elected officials, voters are going to say, I don't want to be involved with these people. It's fake. Let's read the first story, though, and see what's up. This is from News Channel 3, W, I believe, what is it? W-R-E-G reporting. South Haven, Mississippi, a Mississippi man was charged with insurance fraud after he reported racist graffiti had been spray painted on two of his vehicles. South Haven officers were called to Marcia Louise Drive on February 4th after a man named Trumaine Foster said he woke up to find his vehicles had been spray painted. His pickup truck had two N-words spray painted on it. A car was painted with the phrase, uh, leave N-word and Trump. Why did they put Trump on it? That I don't get. I get if you want to put the leave and, you know, like the N word or whatever, but Trump, whatever they did it because orange man bad, I guess. Foster was taken into custody Friday and charged with insurance fraud and tampering with evidence. But South Haven police stopped short of explicitly saying Foster was responsible for the graffiti. Quote, that it was a hoax just kind of made us look silly. Foster's neighbor Shelby Littleton said to make something up that just that just does not make sense to me. Bradley Littleton said a woman at Foster's home Friday afternoon ignored WREG's questions before driving off in one of the cars that had been spray painted. WREG has learned Foster owns a body shop in Olive Branch. Multiple people in the automotive community tell us he specializes in painting cars. One of those people even tells us he painted his wife's car after it was spray painted. That's just embarrassing. That's absolutely embarrassing, Shelby Littleton said. In the silver lining of it, it was nice to see the neighborhood come together for one of our neighbors. <laughs> That's so sad, said a neighbor who asked to remain anonymous. As of 8 p.m. Friday, Foster was still in the DeSoto County Jail. He's due to appear in court Wednesday. OK, OK, I, I, I got to stop for a second. Innocent until proven guilty. I will extend that much. But it certainly looks like that may be the case. People in the community think that he staged it. 
They don't know exactly what happened, but insurance fraud seems to be the charge. Or the, piece, the police aren't going all the way forward with saying as much. But I want what I want to do here is now show you the story of Mexican restaurant owners. And as, as I stated earlier, the point is, I see countless stories of Trump supporters harassed and attacked and berated and belittled. And whenever you see these like, you know, these, well, not, not whenever, but typically these crimes where apparently Trump supporters shouted MAGA country and attacked somebody, they happen to be hoaxes. So we have hoaxes on one side and actual victims on the other. The victims in this case are being harassed and rallying support from Trump supporters and conservatives. This story from Inquisitor. They say last week, the owners of Tucson, of a Tucson, Arizona restaurant, Sammy's Mexican Grill, Betty and George Rivas were spotted at Donald Trump's Phoenix campaign rally in the VIP area. After a photo of the pair's appearance was posted to the Facebook group of Grupo de, Grupo de Palfeas, a marketplace for the advertisement of goods and services, the Arizona Daily Star reported that the restaurant drew a barrage of negative comments. From Grupo de Palfeas, the, the stream of negative comments moved to Yelp and Google, where Sammy's Mexican Grill continued to be attacked. Very ugly stuff. They are saying nasty stuff about the restaurant. It's always a hoax. The negative comments are fake news. The spray paint was fake news. They just make things up because these people want personal power. In the instance of the insurance fraud, what are they going to get? They're going to get cold, hard cash from the insurance company. Well, now you get locked up instead. In this instance, they want to terrorize people who hold views they don't like. Because guess what? The people who run this restaurant, I, I believe, Rivas, they are, they are Latinos. You better not deviate from the tribe. You better do as you're told and bend the knee. These people are lunatics. Very ugly stuff. They are saying nasty stuff about the restaurant, said owner Jorge Rivas. As reported by KOLD, Jorge and his wife have been accused of racism for their support of Trump. It's so funny. Just yesterday, there's uh, a quote. Just yesterday, I had a few guys say, you, got, you guys are you're racists, you're evil, you're the worst of the worst. After the incident, Jorge and Betty, I, I, I know I said George first, I'm going to say Jorge because I think that's how you pronounce it. Jorge and Betty posted a video to Facebook in which they defended their rights as naturalized American citizens. Just because we're Latinos, it doesn't mean that we have to feel like every other Latino in this country, Jorge said in the video. We are individuals and we feel that we have the constitutional right to meet and support whoever we, whoever we want. Good on you. Good, good on you, good sir. Wendy Rogers says, great to get out the vote. Uh, great get out the vote event today at Sammy's Mexican Grill in Catalina. We won over some undecided voters today and everyone else is getting more people to the polls. Thank you, Sheriff Joe and Supervisor Miller for coming as well. So I guess that's Joe Arpaio. I'm not a big fan of that guy. Not a big fan, but I can certainly defend someone's right to free speech and call out the sheer absurdity of all of these hoaxes as they, they look, it was not that long ago, there was some former football player. He owned, I guess, what is it, a yogurt shop and a pizza shop. And he tore out his own TV, spray painted all over the walls, things like Trump. It is the stupidest, most mind numbing insanity. These people are so, I really want to swear right now, mind you. They are so flippin' stupid, they spray paint Trump on the wall. And like every single time it happens, it's a hoax because what Trump supporters are going out in the middle of the night and spray painting up cars with Trump's name on it. How stupid do you have to be or how stupid? Listen, the funny thing about this is they seriously think they're going to convince someone that a Trump supporter wanted to make sure they knew it was a Trump supporter who did it. Are you stupid? 
If somebody was actually going to go out and do something, why would they spray paint Trump on it? Unless it was a hoax and they wanted you to believe it was Trump supporters doing this. Inquisitor finishes the story by saying, it's not the first time the Revises have faced backlash for the support of Trump. In 2016, Betty was invited on the stage with Trump during a March 2016 campaign rally in the Rusan area. Is it supposed to be Tucson? I don't know. Maybe I just don't know Arizona. Forgive me. Which led to, a, to hateful phone calls. Despite the pushback, Jorge says that business at Sammy's Mexican Grill has remained unaffected. Well, I got to tell you, I really wish I could go there. I don't live there, so I won't be eating there, but I'd like to. I'd like to go there and try out their food and see what an honest taste of Sammy's Mexican food tastes like. And it's not because of Trump. It's not because of a support for any politics. It's because of a support for good old American decency, which I, I, I get. Maybe we, we haven't had. Maybe I'm romanticizing the past, but I at least would prefer to live in a world where you can put up a flag for whichever president you like, be it Obama, Trump, Hillary, Bernie, anybody. And I can come and sit down. We can have a conversation and I can enjoy a nice burrito. But I'll tell you what, when I go to places and they put signs in the window that say there's a place, okay, I don't want to call them out specifically, but they put up a safe spaces sign. You know, because of that sign, I don't feel safe going to your establishment. Now, of course, they'll say, oh, what a whiny baby. Look, you do what you want to do. I'll go where I want to go. But when you have people showing up with bats and crowbars and bike locks and bashing people they don't like, you think when you put up that sign, I'm going to feel safe? No, it's not a safe space. It's a violent cult space. That's unfortunate. The problem is it's all stemming from one side. I know that if I go to a place with a picture of Trump in the window, no one's going to say anything to me. I can walk in. I can say, one burrito. Oh, you know what I like? Give me grilled chicken with sour cream and guacamole. That sounds fantastic. Maybe a little extra cheese. Sprinkle it on top. Melt it right over the thing. Maybe some enchilada sauce. Sounds great. Guess what they're going to say? That'll be $7.95. And I'll say, oh, here you go. And they're going to say, thank you. But my concern is when I go to these ideological places where they put up other nonsense in the windows, they might actually, well, it's very unlikely, but I certainly don't feel safe when you are in league with people who show up to Trump rallies and, and knock down old women or bash people over the head. The unfortunate reality that many of these people don't want to accept is that it's coming from their side. Yet for some reason, they keep pushing it in the media that it's Trump supporters who do it. They don't. You know, I, I know you can look at the Proud Boys and, and, and the thing that happened in New York. And well, the Proud Boys aren't completely innocent, but it tends to be reactive on their part, for better or for worse. I've been to so many events that were just regular old people marching through the streets. And you see people show up with crowbars and baseball bats. You hear about hate crimes, fake ones. Jussie Smollett being the kingpin, I suppose. I don't mean like the ringleader. I mean like he's the biggest story. Guess what? He was just indicted on, I think, six new charges. So these kind of things, they happen. And that's why whenever I hear a story, I just don't believe it. You tell me a story that some Trump supporter spray painted Trump on someone's car and racial slurs. Oh, please, dude. The biggest Donald Trump form on the internet bans racism, you idiots. I'm sick and tired of this stuff. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. There is a lot going on in this story, and I got a bunch of mixed feelings about it. But check this out. Republican mega donor and converted Trump supporter Paul Singer buys stake in Twitter and plans to oust Jack Dorsey. We may be looking at the hostile takeover of Twitter and finally, perhaps some an end to the double standards. A Trump supporter can tweet a spicy meme and sure enough, boom, banhammer. 
Yet someone on the far left can actively encourage crimes and they say, well, that's political speech. We know how it goes. It's not absolute. Certainly people on the left can be banned too, but it's a tendency. Now it seems, I don't know for sure, like this, this guy might be coming in. And if he does, he's going to have a lot of say to change that company. You know what? To the most, for, for the most part, I welcome it. I am in favor of free speech, even for the far lefty socialists who want to advocate for socialism, even when they're wrong, because you know what? I'm wrong too sometimes. And if they want to come and ban me, if they want to come and go and ban someone else, I'm worried one day they'll come for me. So I'll accept all the bad with the good, because that's what it takes to be free. Nothing will be perfect. They get to say their stupid stuff. So do I. So good. If this guy comes in and actually defends freedom of expression for everybody, we're much better off for it. However, Jack Dorsey, in my opinion, he's just a figurehead. And I don't, I'm not trying to be disrespectful. You know, I met the guy last year. I did the Rogan podcast with him. I've talked to him. We've DM'd a little bit. I don't think he's involved at all. So I don't know how you change the company, but I'll tell you what, money talks and BS walks. Let's read the story from the Daily Mail. A Republican mega donor and converted Trump supporter has bought a large stake in Twitter and is planning to oust Jack Dorsey from his role as CEO, according to sources close to the matter. Paul Singer, founded, uh, founder of investment management firm Elliott Management, has reportedly taken a hefty stake in the social media company and is planning to use his newfound influence to push for many changes starting at the top. One of the first things on his list is to force out CEO Jack Dorsey's sources told Bloomberg. The value of the stake in the firm is not known. I don't know that even if you took a large stake, I mean, Twitter's a valuable, valuable company. So this is, this appears to be very political. I don't think Twitter's worth that much, man. I guess it's a utility great, but my understanding is they weren't profitable for a long time. They even had to downsize. Well, I got allergies, forgive me. But also, I think once he gets in and sees what Jack Dorsey is really doing, I don't think it matters. But it may be that with all of the loss in confidence, there's a real business opportunity here. Take a look at this way. A lot of conservatives are losing faith in Twitter, even though they, a lot of them still use it. Perhaps removing Jack Dorsey, though he may just be a figurehead, may build confidence in conservatives and boost the stock value of the company. If he comes in and says, this guy has been disruptive, whether he has or hasn't, then the stock price might go up if they bring in a CEO who's got a better track record or who may be more involved. Or at the very least, he could say, the investors know Jack Dorsey is barely involved. Bringing in somebody else might show that there's an active role in the company to improve things. I don't know for sure. Maybe he just saw a business opportunity. But considering it's Twitter, considering the censorship, I kind of think like this is an activist move meant to uh, empower more of the free speech advocates. So hey, more power to you, man, I guess. Though I I will say I do have concerns over this kind of massive influence. And we got to be careful here. We don't want someone to tilt the scales in the other direction. Definitely not. They say Singer is a Republican donor who opposed Trump during his 2016 race for the White House, but he has since done a U-turn to become a keen supporter of the president. In 2017, Trump invited Singer to the White House and said afterwards that Singer was very much involved with the anti-Trump, or as they say, never Trump, and Paul just left. And he's given us his total support, and it's all about unification. I got I to I add to this, you know, Trump, he really has united not, not just the Republican Party, but if you watched my earlier segment on my main channel, check it out. YouTube.com slash Timcast. I really do think it's one of the biggest, one of the more important stories that I've actually covered. Small town Democrats flipping and joining the Republican Party, elected officials. This is a town 
had a four to one Democratic majority. Two of them flipped, giving the Republicans a three to two uh, uh, majority. So that's that's crazy. Donald Trump is pulling in Democrats to the Republican side. That's unity. I'll tell you what. They say it's no secret that Trump is a big fan of using Twitter to broadcast his thoughts to the world and to announce major events impacting the U.S. But Twitter came under fire for his for its position on political ads, along with Facebook and Google in September after it refused to remove a misleading video ad from Trump's campaign that targeted former Democrat Joe Biden. I'm calling BS on this. It was an opinion. You're allowed to have it. Welcome to politics. Grow up. Following the issue, Dorsey announced Twitter was banning all political advertising from its service, saying social media companies give advertisers an unfair advantage in proliferating highly targeted and misleading messages. They're all misleading. Welcome to politics. Grow up. We've made the decision to stop all political advertising on Twitter globally. We believe political, we believe political messages, political message reach should be earned, not bought. Why? A few reasons, Dorsey tweeted. Trump has regularly blasted Twitter, accusing it, along with Facebook and Google, of political bias against conservatives and even suggesting the platforms had tried to rig the election. We can see then some, some, some photos. We'll scroll down. He has also repeatedly threatened to investigate or regulate them. In July, he called on Congress to pass legislation that would clamp down on the firms and said Twitter should be fined for engaging in possible illegal activity. Now, I got to say, I think Trump's overreacting a little bit. I think there are people on the left who do get banned as well, but I believe the bias is fairly obvious. And it was originally reported by left-wing sources. I love how it's one of the smears they try to use against me. If you look at my, my, my wiki page, it says, pool often, you know, bolsters claims that conservatives face political bias, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, I didn't report that dude. Gizmodo did. It's, 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 it's insane. Pool parrots that no, I'm, I'm citing something. How insane. Not my opinion. I mean, it is my opinion. But the point is, when I say here's a left wing website claiming there's bias against conservatives, don't point the finger at me and say Tim's saying it. Gizmodo did, you morons. It remains to be seen what, an, what impact a Republican Trump supporter stakeholder will have on the social media platform's future political stance. Singer wouldn't be the first stakeholder to have voiced concerns over Dorsey's leadership in December. Scott Galloway, a professor of marketing at New York University's Stern School of Business and an investor in Twitter, wrote a letter calling for Dorsey to be replaced at the helm. To be clear, my primary objective is the replacement of CEO Jack Dorsey, Galloway said in an open letter to executive chairman Omid Kordistani. However, your firm's weapons of mass entrenchment include a staggered board that may force shareholders to seek to replace other directors, including yourself, first. Since Dorsey returned as CEO in July 2015, Twitter's shares have tumbled by 6.2%. News of Singer's stake in the company saw shares rise on Friday, even amid fears the spread of, of coronavirus would lead to a recession. Singer's firm, Elliott Management, is an activist investor, meaning it regularly pushes for change in companies it owns shares in. I am not a big fan of massive wealth manipulating political discourse. And that includes Twitter itself. So what we're seeing right now is a battle of titans. I don't know exactly how it will play out. And I can't say I'm really mad this guy's doing it. Maybe he'll bring balance to the force or maybe he'll be like Darth Vader and kind of skew everything in the wrong direction. There's a lot of there's, there's a lot of opportunity in Twitter. Their shares have fallen partly because there's probably a lot of conservative users who have left and that's hurt the platform. When Twitter started banning people, 
a lot of people got angry saying you're banning all of the interesting people. People used to love to post videos of Alex Jones left and right. And then when they banned him, now it's just not there anymore for the most part, out of sight, out of mind, I guess. But it made the site more fun. You get rid of everybody but the milk toast fence sitters like me and Twitter's going to be a boring gray blob. Why be on the platform if you can't see people say silly things? Of course, they typically ban people on the right. So you have the lunatics of the far left screeching like banshees and they don't do anything about it. Which brings me to the real economic opportunity. I personally would not want to invest in a company that would prioritize ideology over actual function or profitability. If this guy can come in and restore that to Twitter, dare I say he might actually make Twitter more valuable. Though there are a lot of people who would suggest you should not be putting money in companies like Twitter because it's an activist company. I think it might be a good time to buy if this guy can actually make some changes. Because I think a lot of the people who are, a lot of Republicans are, maybe, maybe not all of them, but a lot of them are of a balanced and logical mind. I'm not saying Democrats aren't. What I mean to say is this guy may be an activist investor. He may take issue with the political bannings, but he also might be a pragmatist who realize we have a lot of room to grow if we can get rid of the censorship issue. What Jack Dorsey, sort of, I don't know who's really doing it. I don't want to say it's him, but what Twitter has done has told conservatives and, you know, not necessarily even conservatives, but people who might have bad opinions that you are not welcome here. They have actively sought to reduce their user base because they're morons. Now, I'm sure they think we're going to make our base bigger by getting rid of bigots, not realizing that people are walking away from the left and joining the Republican Party. They don't want to be surrounded by lunatics screeching about pronouns, which is what Twitter is giving you. So I'll tell you what, if I start to see positive changes, hey, I consider throwing some stuff into Twitter. If they can get better leadership to actually embrace sane thought, Twitter would be a better place. I'll leave it there. Stick around. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes, and I will see you all shortly. Justice, accountability, feels good. You see, they have been lying about Donald Trump's claims over the coronavirus for some time now. And finally, we are seeing, uh, well, look, there's still a double standard in fact checking, but at least we have this. Checkyourfact.com. Did Trump call the coronavirus a hoax at a South Carolina rally? The answer is no, he did not. He said the Democrats attacking him over his response was a hoax and that they were taking the virus very seriously. And I want to read for for you this article, but I'll tell you why I'm covering this. Because on Facebook, when you see Politico's garbage, trash, fake news, here's what you get. It says false information. Oh, you know, it's, it's just you love to see it. See why. And when you click it, it then pops up and says conclusion false. And when you're on Facebook, it works better. But it brings you to check your facts. Now, of course, they're already trying to smear check your fact as right wing propaganda. No, uh, I'm sorry. It's fake news. Check your fact shows us it's fake news. Watch the video. It's fake news. But it's just good to see on Facebook this happening because there was there was an instance with PragerU and I and I posted about this on Facebook. Here's what you get. PragerU posted an image that said, here's immigration statistics like it had to do with Bernie Sanders voting for a border fence. They labeled the post fake news. And when you clicked it, the source they gave you was literally the source PragerU used in making that post. I kid you not. Fact checkers claimed PragerU was lying 
and then linked to the literal article that Prager you use. What is this Facebook? So I took their post. I took the actual source material and says, here's proof. And they said, I posted fake news too. How amazing is that? This, the game is rigged, everybody. Let's read this story. And then I want to talk about the politicizing of the virus. They say Politico published an article claiming President Trump called the novel coronavirus a hoax at his February 28th campaign rally in South Carolina. Verdict false. Trump referred to the alleged politicizing of the coronavirus by Democrats as their new hoax. He did not refer to the coronavirus itself as a hoax. Throughout the speech, Trump reiterates his administration is taking the threat of the coronavirus seriously. Fact check. Politico appears to misconstrue the subject of the president's statements, claiming that Trump tried to cast, this is a quote, tried to cast the global outbreak of the coronavirus as a liberal conspiracy intended to undermine his first term. I would like to send some words to Politico. How about you are disgusting slime bags? You did this on purpose, didn't you? You knew what he was saying because you knew what his quote was. You included it in the story. And then you, you left out context to falsely frame the narrative because you're disgusting, egotistical, narcissistic slime bags. Nothing gets me angrier than people intentionally posting fake news, mind you. Quote, we have, we have exposed the far left's corruption and defeated their sinister schemes. And let's see what happens in the coming months, Trump said during the rally. Let's watch. Let's just watch. Very dishonest people. Isn't that funny? Now the Democrats are politicizing the coronavirus. You know that, right? Coronavirus, they're politicizing it. See, John Stewart, formerly of The Daily Show, he, he said it best. These air quote journalists have ego problems. And when Trump calls them out, they take it personally. So in response, they turn around, look at their keyboards and begin to type and then vomit all over themselves, putting out garbage for people to read. And unfortunately, some people read the word vomit and they believe it. Facebook then doesn't fact check. Well, it's, it's independent fact checkers. The reason why I'm, I'm in a good mood as much as I'm insulting these people is that it was fact checked. The novel coronavirus known as COVID-19 has spread. We get it. Some Democrats, including former New York City Mayor Michael Bloomberg and Joe Biden, have criticized the administration's response to the outbreak as rudderless and ill-prepared due to the CDC and NIH budgets cut being cut and leadership from Trump. The Associated Press called this characterization distorted since the agencies haven't seen a loss of funding and have a playbook to follow for pandemic preparation, regardless of who is president. Welcome to garbage world. We have multiple instances of the media lying, of Democrats lying, and it feels good to see a fact check. Trump described the so-called politicizing of the White House's response to the disease as what he perceives to be an attempt to undermine his administration, likening it to impeachment and the Mueller investigation. I agree with him. They're using this for political points. Bloomberg is saying, how could Trump do this? He didn't do anything. Uh, don't, 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 don't get wrong. Don't get me wrong, though. Trump tried. <laughs> Congress said no. Welcome to the balance of powers. Republicans and Democrats in Congress said, nah, Trump, you're not cutting budgets here. So Trump wanted to. He didn't do it. If you want to criticize the president, you can say, you know, the president was actually looking to cut certain budgets that would have affected coronavirus preparedness. Well, the Republicans in Congress joined with Democrats to block it. But, you know, that's a whole other story. They want to paint all Republicans as the same thing. But we have seen Republican defections under Trump before. Matt Gates, for instance, voted to, to I, I believe it was to restrict Trump's powers in dealing with you know foreign policy in Iran and stuff. There have been Republicans who have stood on principle. 
And I can respect that. What they want to do, though, is make it seem like Trump and the Republicans are all the same thing. They often throw this line out. It's the, it's the party of Trump. And in many ways, it's true. But that doesn't mean that each individual doesn't have principles. It means their principles are aligned. So I want to show you this story. This is an op-ed from Corey Lewandowski, The Hill. Don't make coronavirus political. Make it stop instead. Coronavirus is not the end of the world. It can be serious. It is much more deadly than the flu. We don't have a, we, 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 we've never experienced poor. It's new. So we have to set up new you know, policies and parameters and things like that. And that means we are worried about it, but we shouldn't be freaking out. You know, right now in California, there are people raiding stores and shelves. And, and this is what you don't want to be doing. You don't want to run to the shop and buy up everything. You want to buy a little bit. You want to buy a little bit and, 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 be, and be prepared in the event. You know, I know that's a taboo word. They say, oh, you're a prepper. Oh, please. If you got some extra food, you go grocery shopping, you plan for the week, don't you? Do the same thing. Just do it early. Some people are freaking out. And I'll tell you what, the panic is the worst part. But I'll tell you what really bothers me. It's the, the politicizing of this because Trump is doing it right back to Democrats. And, and look, I'll tell you what, it's hard for me to be mad at Trump about this when they started, when Bloomberg and them, they come out and start attacking Trump over the coronavirus. Then Trump responds. I wish it wasn't that way. What's he supposed to do? He's going to defend himself and we're going to play a game around Robin. So this is what Corey writes. I get it. For Democrats, it's been a rough couple of years, losing the presidency, failing on impeachment, witnessing a fundamental shift that split the party into social democratic socialist and classic Democrat camps. None of this has been easy for the party of JFK. But nothing excuses how the Democratic leadership has acted in response to the 2019 outbreak of a new coronavirus worldwide. He goes on to mention Chuck Schumer, Bernie Sanders, Rose DeLauro, a Democrat from Connecticut. They say that this uh, tearing up the, you know, the what, what, what does it say? It caused, okay. Rose DeLauro caused Republican and Democratic representatives alike to criticize or walk out of her subcommittee's hearing on coronavirus developments after she used her position as subcommittee chair to attack the administration for the diligent work being done by its top health officials. There's no reason to make America's response to the coronavirus a partisan issue. In fact, if there were any issue on which Democrats should root for, if there, if there were any issue on which president, the Democrats should root for the president's success, it would be this one. Instead, they choose to continue on with never-ending, ever-changing hoax. To them, anything and everything this president does is part of some vast conspiracy driven by malintent or sheer incompetence. Let me stop you right there, Corey. Let's, I'll tell you what's really happening. They have nothing. They have li- literally nothing to offer the American people. And that's, uh, that's unfortunate. The public option is tepid. Some people want Medicare for all, but only some. Trump has lined American pockets with gold. I, I, I mean that metaphorically, not literally. The economy is great. And because people are paying attention right now to how good their lives are, hey, guess what? You've been saving up for that new car and now your business is doing great and you bought it. The last thing you're going to do is turn on the TV to listen to what these people have to say. And it's even worse than that. When you see how good things are going and you're a moderate who might maybe supported Trump and they start ragging on him, you get scared. Bernie Sanders is a socialist. So what can they do? Well, they want to take the heat off their back. I can understand that. Their party's in shambles. People are quitting. So all they can do is screech about how bad Trump is. But I'll tell you what, this is part of the problem. It's kind of a catch-22. The more they screech about Orange Man, the more people quit. So the more they screech about Orange Man, it's not going to prove anything to anybody. I think something interesting might happen. I could be wrong, but I think the Republicans might absorb all the moderates. 
and then eventually push out the far left and the Republican Party will then split back into two parties and you will have conservatives and liberals once again. For now, they're going to lie in the media. Fortunately, this time they got fact checked, so that makes me feel better. They're going to lie about the president. They're going to lie about the politicians and they're going to lie all day and night because the ideologues who work in media have nothing to offer you either. They know they're losing. The best they can do is lie. But I'll tell you what, even Vox.com said that Democrats' only option was to lie about the economy. When even BuzzFeed has to acknowledge Trump's victories over impeachment with the latest court cases, when even the Washington Post writes that the Ukraine courts ordered a probe into Joe Biden's involvement in the firing of the prosecutor, what are you going to do about it, man? And when Vox says Democrats are lying about the economy, it's time to wake up. You're losing. The lies aren't helping. They're making it worse. You want to dig yourself out of this. You got to shut up and actually start talking about what people are concerned about. And it's not the orange man. You made that problem. You know what? You can stew in it. The media plays for the Trump bump. The politicians chase it and Americans are tired of it. We got a real virus here. All right. I want to see them take care of it and do it right. And you're not helping with your media lies. I'll see you all tomorrow in the next segment at 10 a.m. Podcast will be up at 630. Thanks for hanging out. I'll see you next time.